Philippians 4 tonight. Philippians 4. Um, I, I tried to, you know, really seek the Lord about what to preach um, on all three messages. And uh, Sunday school, I, I felt like I knew the mind of the Lord. And then uh, this morning... You know, when you go and you preach out, you want to preach, you know, if you're talking preachers, you want to preach your sugar stick, right? It's uh, the one that is uh, usually not long in duration and filled with energy and lots of good illustrations. Um, and uh, I, the, this morning's message and tonight's message, neither one of them are sugar sticks. However, I, I, I really, my desire in the time that I was here is I really wanted to give you something, a truth that, that was so applicable that you could take with you. And so the message this morning, if I could just reiterate the importance of every command God has given you, every single one of them, it's, you, it's impossible to recognize the significance of the command um, on this side of life. And one day we will. But, um, and then tonight... Really, the, the truth that we're going to look at tonight, it really is a game changer. Uh, not only will this uh, help you be more attractive as a, as a Christian to others that are out there, but, but this message, it'll just help you in life. Uh, it'll help you while you're sitting on your couch at night getting ready to go to bed and just reminiscing about the day. It'll help you as you're eating breakfast in the morning. It'll help you in every aspect of life. And, um, and so I'm excited for it. You're in Philippians 4, correct? I want to start uh, maybe, well, not, not the picture quite yet. I want you to think about the last time you walked past your, your uh, washing machine that washes your clothes. What did that do for you? You probably this week you walked by your washing machine, yes or no? Probably this week, uh, you probably did some work and put some clothes in there and uh, took them out. What did that do for you when you were, you know, standing in front of your washing machine, putting your clothes in there, pulling them out? What did that do for you? That had, did that stimulate you? Were you like, man, this is amazing? No, I didn't think so. Show, show this picture of this washing machine up here. Look at that. Can you see that back there? First electric washing machine that was produced. This was from 1907. And uh, when you walk by your washing machine today, you never think, oh man, this is a big deal. But if you had this washing machine, next time you walk by your washing machine that you currently have, you say, man, this, this is amazing. This is a big deal. Uh, one of the advertisements this thing has, you can't see it uh, on that announcement, but it says, there is a self-draining cover never attempted in any washing machine before and a wonderful metal swing ringer. That was a big deal back then. What we have today with the advancement of technology, really it should make you get excited about something as simple as a wash machine. I think about the technology and, and uh, think about the internet. I, we flew here, Misty and I flew here. I remember, I think it would have been the early 90s, when, um, when the internet was kind of coming out, maybe it was the late 80s, and I remember like on news, it was like Channel 9 News, ABC or NBC or something like that, they were talking about the advancement of the internet at that time, and they were saying it before long, uh, basically all your purchases will be 
right, from the internet, and they talked about even purchasing plane tickets. You'll, you'll do that right over there. Now, I remember, I think it was junior high or high school, I remember thinking, no way, no way. But that's the case today. How, how simple is it to buy just about anything through the internet? How about Amazon? When I lived here in um, Liberal, I loved Amazon, right? There's a lot of stores that aren't here, but Amazon will bring it here to, uh, to you. That's pretty amazing. Two days, get it in two days about anything that you want. Love that. Remember the days of watch, uh, listening to music? You remember that? These young kids, they don't know how good they have it, man. We had the, the well, for, in my day, I didn't have the records. And some of y'all's day, you had the records, but you had the, the cassette tape, right? And that thing would, and you know, and you, tie, you put it in there. And, man, you thought it was great, man. This sucker on one side will hold 12 songs on this side, 12 songs on the other side. That's amazing. You know. And, and the point I'm trying to illustrate this morning is... Man, we, we have so many advancements in technology that has made life easier, that has made life smarter, more efficient, safer, more comfortable, more connected, more entertaining, more protected, more satisfying. Yes or no? And, and yet with all of these enhancements of life, um, all the studies and the surveys about the overall disposition and well-being of people is showing that it's not climbing along with the advancement of technology, but it's actually declining. And, and that's fascinating to me. According to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, antidepressant prescriptions have risen nearly 400% since 1988. Isn't that amazing? One in 10 Americans over the age of 12 now takes an antidepressant. That's what this study finds. I'm not, I'm not being hard on that. That's a real issue. I'm not uh, minimizing or diminishing that whatsoever. Uh, a CNN article that uh, relies on some information that the CDC put out states that the number of suicides in the United States has been on a drastic rise since 1999 in every category, age category. And so... The obvious conclusion from all of this is that we, we really are living in an age of discontentment. And, and culture seems to equate that the more resources that you have, the, the nicer your phone, the nicer your car, the better your job, the less stress that you have, the more content you will find yourself. But uh, studies show that that's actually not the case. As life gets easier with the advancement of technology, our mental disposition and overall well-being seems to actually uh, grow to a lower state. And in our passage that I want to be able to show you in, a fee, or in a Philippians, um, God gives some amazing revelation about how to experience contentment in life. Again, I'm so... this. This message isn't overly stimulating, but this message, if, if you'll take these truths and, and you'll take the information that we're going to learn, it will help you so much in life. It'll help you so much. Of all the people that should be content, the people that display the greatest contentment in life should be believers. And yet we find that 
that's a struggle even among those who claim to know God and have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. And so I want to show you what Paul has to say here about contentment and our overall mental well-being. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 3. I'm sorry, verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. He's talking to this church that at one time was able to minister to him through various needs and through finances. They, they went through a period where they were able, weren't able to do that. And, and so that's what he's addressing now. Look in verse number 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned that in whatsoever state I am therewith to be, say that last word for me. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I want to spend our time tonight in the word of God learning about how to experience contentment. How to experience contentment. And uh, I hope that, I hope I'm going to do my best to be able to package this in such a way that it will be understandable, digestible, and that you can take it home. But I find myself needing help tonight. I, uh, let, me, let me be transparent for a minute. I usually do this study in a two-part series. Um, I cover the philosophical side first and then the application side in the second message. But I didn't have two chances, so I had to try to figure out a way to take, uh, take both messages and condense the truth into one setting and, and, and not do it in a way that's going to keep you here for two hours. I think I figured that out, but I want to... Look, I don't want to take advantage of your time, but, but I do want to equip you tonight, honestly. I do want to equip you tonight. Can, can we just be honest that sometimes it is really hard to be content in life, isn't it? And... And, you know, just because you struggle with being content doesn't mean that you're necessarily a weak spiritual person. Can I put that out there? It doesn't mean that you're weak spiritually. It just means that you may not be aware of the tools that, that God has afforded you uh, to be able to equip you so you can. And so let me pray. Let's ask God's help and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for the time. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to do my best to fill in the shoes of Pastor Prater and Pastor Tyler. I'm so thankful for their labor of ministry and the word and, and to see what you're doing here. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we have assembled here in their absence, as they're serving elsewhere, that you would make this time effective and productive. Lord, I want to be, I want to be used to convey truth from your word in a way that's truly helpful. And would you help us to do that? And you give me the direction that I need to be able to accomplish that. Ask it in Christ's name. Everyone said. I have become fascinated with the study of psychology over the last, oh, six years or so. What has driven me to really search this out is how many people I come across, especially now that I'm pastoring, that struggle with not just depression, but, but really the issue of contentment. 
And so I, God knows, I mean, he's the one that made us. And I figured, well, if God made us and he knows how we function, then surely uh, he has some address, some, some dynamics of psychology. And what I found is, man, psychology is all over this Bible. Often, and I understand there's a worldly view of psychology that stands opposed to the truths of, of the Word of God. I get that, but psychology simply means how your mind functions. Just how your mind functions. And how your mind functions, listen, how your mind functions does affect your body. It does affect your health. And so if we haven't learned how to effectively uh, work through our thoughts... Man, we can suffer in life in a way that's completely unnecessary and miss out on being able to enjoy the good life that God has promised us. And so this chapter is filled with psychology. What I find fascinating is that obviously God knows how our mind works. He knows how the mind works with the body. And, and what I find so fascinating is now that we have the kind of science and technology to be able to scan the brain and watch how it functions and watch how each part works with one another, we're able to identify that the things that God spoke long before we had this technology and long before we had the machines to scan the brains, that, that God knew exactly what he was talking about, knew the things that we needed to have a strong mental disposition, whether that's to fight depression or just fight those low moments. God is pretty smart. He knows what we needed even before scientists found out this will help you. I'm so thankful for that. I want to be able to show that to you here. Contentment, as I've already highlighted, it's a major problem in humanity. And, and listen, I wonder how often our negative traits that we habitually exhibit, such as irritability, lack of joy, negative attitude, self, selfishness, struggling to love others, I wonder how often those are not seen for what they really are. A lot of times those can come out of our life because we're just not content in life. And, and so those are expressed by these negative attributes. And probably more often than we realize, the root of our habitual negative habits and negative attitude may be driven by an unchristlike lack of contentment. I want to be able to show you some truths here. Rocka, Nelson Rockefeller you're familiar with it, was once asked, how much money does it take to make a person happy, a.k.a. content? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. And that express how we live in life often? That we always seem to want something that we don't have. We want something better than what we already have, something different than what we already have. Um, whether it's a job we want a better job. Man, if I had that job, my life would be exactly what I want it to be. If I had that house, if I had that talent, if I, if I had that kind of spouse, we even do that. If my spouse, if my husband was like that husband, I would be more content in marriage. I'm just saying that this, is a, this, this lack of contentment can affect so many areas of our life. And it's not of God, but we do have tools to be able to overcome this. And so, listen, if, if you're of the mindset that your job is never good enough, or the job that you want is just out of reach, or your house, it, it's just not satisfying, the one that you have. And, and if you had that house, it might be better. 
if I had maybe that person's personality, then I could be able to reach the spiritual objectives that I would like if I was more like them. If, if this thinking comes across your mind at all, really the, the reason or the, the cause of that kind of thinking may be more due to a lack of contentment. And, and I just want us to be able to understand that it's not of God. So I want, to give you, I want to give you three things here concerning contentment. I want to give you the what of contentment, the how of contentment, and then the do of contentment. Let's start with the what of contentment. The what of contentment. In order for us to understand what contentment is, I think it would be helpful for us to first define what contentment is not. What contentment is not. All right? And so this passage reveals three things about what contentment is not. Number one, I want you to get this, contentment is not natural. I want you to hear that. Contentment is not natural. It is not natural for you to be content. Let me show this to you. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have what? Learned. Paul is saying, in order for me to be content, look, get this, would you look up here? In order for me to be content, I had to learn how to be content. In fact, it's not the only time he uses the word. Look in verse 12. For I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And so Paul's use of these verbs indicate that contentment is not possessed passively. Like, it's not just like the flu, like the cold, that you don't have to do anything necessarily to be infected by it. Man, that's a bummer, right? If, if being content was as easy as catching a cold, man, life would be a lot easier. But that's not the case. You can't get it passively. You have to learn. Look, if you, I'm just, if you want to be content, you have to learn how to be content. You have to learn. All right, that's the first thing that I want you to see what contentment is not. It's not natural. The second thing is contentment is not inaccessible. All right, now look at verse 13. I love verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Contentment is totally attainable and reachable. As, look, as long as you're willing to learn how to receive strength from Christ... If you're not willing to learn how to receive strength from Christ, then, of course, contentment is always going to be out of your reach. But you're here tonight because I'm assuming that you, you know Christ. Most people don't show up to church on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday evening unless they know Christ. And so, obviously, contentment is attainable for you. Contentment is not inaccessible and then number three, contentment is not circumstantial. Now, this is so powerful. Look in verse number 11 again. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Would you look up here for a minute? If you think that your lack of contentment is caused by your circumstances. Your heart has fooled you, and the devil will allow that to happen as long as you live, because he wants to keep you in that state. Are, are you listening to me? I'm telling you that your contentment has nothing to do 
with your circumstances. That's what Paul says, not what I say. Yeah, that's amazing. And so our contentment is based on the right kind of connection to Christ. Now, now that we know what contentment is not, let me show you what contentment is. I have the definition here. And, and there's a lot of ways you can define this, but I think this kind of uh, captures the thought of Paul's heart here. Contentment is an inward peace that is achieved by learning how to receive and apply the strength that Christ offers to every believer, no matter what circumstance they face. We see this in verse 6, very familiar passage. Look at verse 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ and so so this is what contentment is look here contentment is i'm completely at peace it's even hard for me to explain why i'm at peace it's a peace that passes all understanding uh, and it's not dependent upon my circumstance. My peace is the direct result of me receiving strength from Christ. I've learned how to do that. I've learned how to receive strength from Christ. And so that is the what of contentment. Now, let's move on. Man, we're making good progress. Let's move on to the how of contentment. If you want to learn a specific trade then you need to go to a specific kind of school that will treat, uh, teach you that trade. That's obvious, isn't it? If you want to learn the trade of farming or of agriculture, you should not go to the Chicago Art Institute, right? They, they are not going to teach you how to farm and about agriculture in an appropriate fashion. Likewise, if you want to learn how to be content you must go to the right training center. Verse 13 is the right training center. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Do you know how often this verse is ripped out of its context? And, and this verse often is used to teach that, man, you just put your mind to it and ask Christ, and he'll help you do anything you want to. I just want to tell you, that's not true. That is not true. You know what this verse is connected to? It's connected to experiencing contentment. That's what this verse is connected to. And remember, Paul has said, man, I've, I've been both in times when I've been full, and then I've been times when, I, when I'm not full. I've been time, there's been times in life when I'm hungry, and then there's times when I'm, I don't have to worry about being hungry. There's times when I'm uh, abounding, and there's times when I'm suffering need. And his point is, it doesn't matter what kind of circumstances I find myself in, even in needing, needy circumstances, I have learned through Christ that I can have the strength to be content no matter what I'm facing. And verse 13 is telling us that, that the strength of Christ can allow you to be content no matter, no matter what you're facing. And, and that's so true. I believe that. Don't you believe that? I believe that. I believe I can fight cancer and be content. I, I hope this isn't ever the case. I can't imagine my life. I've been married 21 years now to Misty. I can't imagine my life without her. I can't. Uh, all the things that we're used to sharing together. I, I tell her all the time, I, I, I leave um, tissues all over the house 
from blowing my nose and stuff like that. I know that's nasty, right? I'm just welcome to my household. I leave tissues all over the house. Uh, I just don't think about it. And, I, and, and I'll hear her complain as she's walking through the house. Oh, I can tell you've been here and picking up my... And, and I tell her, you'd miss that if I ended up dying. I know that you'd miss that, uh, right? I, I can't imagine life without Misty, but here's what I do know. In the event that, that uh, God were to take her from me, I can, I can still be content. I believe, no, 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 listen. I believe that because he said that I can do all things as it relates to being content through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so the direct context of this verse is talking about us experiencing contentment. And I just want you to know, listen, I want you to get this in your mind. And I know that you know this. Contentment is only available through Christ. No, 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 no. I'm glad you're amening. No, I, and, and if you've been in church, you know that. But, but I'm telling you that the only way you can truly be content in whatsoever circumstance that you find is only through Christ and only through the strength that he provides. So here's what you have to do. You have to learn to position yourself in such a way where you can receive his strength. Now, let me maybe illustrate this uh, a, a little bit. Contentment does not come by finding conditions suitable to us, but by allowing God to fashion our spirit to make them suitable to our circumstances. Okay, so think about this. Uh, sometimes I'll see parents and they're dealing with their kids and their kids are crying and they're throwing a fit. And, and a parent can appease the kid and get him or her to quit crying if he gives him the piece of candy that he's crying for. You know, the kid at Walmart that you see uh, sees all the candy in the aisle and is throwing a fit uh, to mom and saying mom or dad breaks down and gives him a piece of candy. And so the kid has been appeased and so it's not crying anymore. And, and if, if that works, the external circumstances that bring the child back into a quiet, content, uh, 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 content disposition... It, it wasn't the, his character that, that produced that contentment. It was the circumstances. Does that make sense? And, and the goal of parenting as a parent is to cultivate character in our children where we're teaching them that you need to be content whether I give you what you want or you don't. That's the goal of real parenting. And, and a child, and, and parents, this is why it's so important for you to teach your kid to embrace the no. I want you to get this. A child who grows up and fails to learn how to have the character to embrace the no turns into an adult who, who must have the right circumstances to be content. Did you get that? They have to have the right kind of job in order for them to be content. They have to have their husband do the right kind of things in order for them to be content. They have to have the right kind of house. They have to have the right kind of sales. They have to have the right kind of words said to them in order for them to be content. I'm just saying uh, that that's a dangerous place to be. There are, look, you know what our world shows us? It proves to us there's evidence after evidence after evidence that even if you get all the things that you want, you still won't be content. You can have all the things and all your circumstances, uh, uh, all your wishes uh, come true, and you still wouldn't be content. We see this all over. I want to give you two examples from the world. I want you to watch this video of Cameron Diaz and of Tom Brady. 
I want you to watch this and then we'll get back to the message. Go ahead and play that video. My name is Cameron Diaz. I'm 41 years old, on my way to 42. Um, I am an actor in film, and I grew up in Long Beach, California. I live in Los Angeles and New York. I go back and forth, but um, I like the seasons. And um, what else do I need to tell you? That's, I think that's it, right? Okay. <laughs> when people say, oh, I want to be like you, I want to be an actor, I want to look like you, the question I always ask them is why? Like, really, why? And people, and especially America, this idea of fame, that to be famous means that you're successful, that you've, you're happy. It's not about, I, I don't do what I do because I want to be famous. That's part of, being famous is my job. That's, I am not, when I'm home, I am not, and I'm with my family and my friends, I am not famous. I am me. And I'm Cameron. And that doesn't, fame does not define me. And so if you are looking for fame to define you, then you will never be happy. And you will always be searching for happiness and it, you will never find it in fame. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I think it's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Isn't that fascinating? It, here's two people that, that don't necessarily embrace uh, God's perspective in life, and yet they're acknowledging that if you're looking to be content on your circumstances, whether it's your job, whether it's winning a Super Bowl, whether it's having money, Super Bowl rings, all of that, none of that will bring you contentment. I want you to get this. That if you want to be content, Paul is telling us what you already know, maybe in theory, but sometimes we have, it, have a hard time letting that theory come down to our heart. That you don't need a better job. Please Please listen, you don't need a better job to be content. You, you don't need more money to be content. You don't need your wife to treat you better to be content. You don't need more people to recognize you to be content. You, you know what you need to be content? You need to be able to know Christ and learn how to position yourself to get strength from Christ because through Christ, you can go through any circumstance and still be content in life. Yeah. We see that all over. We see that all over. And so, well, I, I hope that helps you. And so that's the, look, I think we're pretty much done uh, with the first two points. I only have three points. I only have three points. The problem uh, that we have now is the third point is a lot longer than the first or the second. So we've seen the what of contentment. We've seen the how of contentment. Now here's what I find fascinating is the doing of contentment. Now this is so fascinating. Paul instructs us about the what and the how, but he also lets us know that understanding the what and the how isn't enough for you to experience contentment. Uh, get this. You have to take the what and the how and then you have to do. 
if you're not willing to do the doing of contentment, you'll miss out on contentment. Let me show this to you. Look at verse number nine. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. Next word, please. Do. And notice what would happen if you do. Read it for yourself. The peace of God shall be with you. Look, look up here. Paul, Paul's been teaching him some things. He's been teaching him how to be content, among other things. And he's saying this, listen, you can't find contentment in your circumstances. And, and I want you to know, I have learned that I don't need my, my life to be going well in order for me to be content. I've learned that all I have to do is position myself to have, uh, be strengthened by Christ in order to be contentment. And so these things that I've taught you, I want you to do them. It's not enough just to know them. It's not enough to understand them. You have to do them. And if you can do them, the peace of God will ride, reside in your life. And if the peace of God resides in your life, you'll be content. Amen. You'll be content. And so, and so there's the doing. And most of the time, you know what your problem is and what my problem is most of the time with contentment? It's the doing part. This is where psychology comes in. Even secular psychology recognizes that overcoming circumstances, even as strong as depression... Um, and, and being able to experience enduring, authentic help cannot be fully accomplished through pharmacology. Did, did you understand what I just said? It, giving prescriptions isn't enough. Look, if, you, if you're struggling with whether it's depression or just low emotional state, yeah, you can get a prescription. And, and I, I'm not against, I'm, look, I think, I think uh, I, look, I... I have to take a pill every day just for me to be in a normal disposition. I take a, a levothyroxine. It's a thyroid supplement. If I didn't have that, I'd be all out of whack. Not just physically, emotionally, I'd be all out of whack. And, and look, it's a, when we have liver cancer, we don't say, oh, you're unspiritual because your liver is not working. We don't say that, do we? No one chooses, man, I, I want to I wanna be depressed or I want to have a low emotional disposition. No one chooses to do that. And so just like your liver can get out of whack or your thyroid can get out of whack, sometimes you have parts of your brain that can get a little bit out of whack. And, and I'm glad no one looks at me and thinks I'm unspiritual because I rely on levothyroxine to help me be able to function properly. And so, uh, look, uh, prescription and medication isn't the answer if you struggle with depression. But, but sometimes it's necessary to be able to help you get to a spot. But I want you to understand that that won't cure you of it. Christ will cure you of it. Does that make sense? And, and so now we're going to get into the psychology of it. And even secular psychologists recognize that, man, if you're going to have an emotional, emotionally strong well-being, you have to do certain things. Uh, pharmacology won't get it done. And I read this book called The Upward Spiral. It uh, is uh, authored by Dr. Alex Korb, who is a neuroscientist from uh, the Department of Psychiatry, uh, Psychology in the University of California. And his book explains how depression and those that struggle with uh, low emotions, um, how complex of an issue it is. And, and this is what he says, we don't know exactly what triggers it or what initiates it, 
But what we do know is that when someone is struggling with, whether it's depression or these low emotional areas, there are two primary parts of the brain that are affected. Now, I'm going to get a little bit scientific on you, but I'm going to show you that we actually see this in the scriptures. What you read about in Philippians chapter 4 is extremely scientific, but God's not trying to come to you from a science standpoint. And I'm going to show you a secular psychologist that validates that God knew exactly what he was doing when he wrote some of these things that we're going to look at on the doing. And so I want to be able to uh, explain these things. So you have two parts of the brain that are involved in your emotional well-being. You have the prefrontal cortex. You say, man, we're in church. We're, we're not in school. Come on now. Well, stay, stay with me. Um, the prefrontal cortex, and that's, that's the part of the brain where you do your thinking. It's the logical part of your brain. And then you have what's called the limbic system. That's the center part of your brain, and it has different parts. It has the hypothalamus, the hippocampus, the amygdala, and the anterior cingulate. And, and in order for these two areas of the brain to properly function, they have to have neurotransmitters that go back and forth to them. You've heard of some of these neurotransmitters. Serotonin. You heard of serotonin? Uh, norepinephrine, dopamine, how many have heard of dopamine, uh, oxytocin, melatonin, among others. And so in order for you to be in the right state of mind emotionally, have a strong emotional disposition, these two parts of the brain have to be able to communicate through these neurotransmitters that are going back and forth. And, and I want you to listen to when someone is struggling with an emotional well-being, whether it's a lack of contentment or even something greater uh, as depression, I want you to listen to what this neuroscientist has to say. And I have, I have the quotes up here. You may not be able to read it all the way in the back, but I'll, you follow along with me as I read these. All of these neurotransmitters are necessary for proper functioning of dozens of circuits throughout the brain. And to make things more complicated, they all interact. So in other words, he's saying all these parts of the brain, they interact uh, with each other by these neurotransmitters, and, and they're all connected. So if one area goes out of whack, it's going to affect other areas of the brain, which is going to affect your emotional uh, disposition. Look at the next quote. Unfortunately, depression is not just a matter of having enough norepinephrine or serotonin or dopamine and thus, it's not solved by simply increasing the levels of these neurotransmitters. What he's saying here is that, look, you have someone that struggles with depression. Uh, their neurotransmitters are off. But you can't just supplement those neurotransmitters with medication and think he's going to get back or she's going to get back to normal. That, that won't work. That might help them, but that won't, won't actually get them to where they need to be. And so, listen as he continues. Next, next quote, please. You, can, you can't always change where you are, speaking of mentally, but you can change where you're going mentally. What if instead of your life spiraling downward, uh, downward, it spiraled up? What if you suddenly had more energy, slept better, hung out with your friends more, felt happier? Your neural circuits have just as much potential for this as they do for depression. It turns out, continuing on, that positive life changes. Do you see that there? This is, this is what a secular scientist is saying. It turns out that positive life changes, doing, actually cause positive neural changes in the brain's electrical activity 
its chemical composition, even its ability to produce new neurons. And then he goes on, he talks about, gives an example of how exercise actually can equip you to be more stable emotionally. And so here's why I'm bringing this up. Now stay with me. It's because Dr. Korb claims that if you want help over a, a low mental well-being state of mind, you, you cannot achieve that without doing certain things, even if you prescribe medicine. You have to do certain things. And he claims that your mental health is dependent upon the things that you choose to do. And, and I think that this is so appropriate because it demonstrates some of the things that God says here. Because Paul gives us a list. Look, he's, he's told us what contentment is not. He, can to, he told us what contentment is. He told us how to have it to, uh, through Christ. But now he's going to tell us that in order for you to really embrace it and receive it, there are certain things that you have to do. So let me... Let me show you uh, uh, the verse. Let me show you some things. I'm going to give you four things that you really need to work on doing in order to be content. And, and what I'm going to show you, what I'm going to say to you is nothing new, but I want to show you the powerful science behind it and how it validates the Word of God. Here's one of the first things that, that you need to make a, a regular part of your life. Listen, you need to make a regular part of your life. You need to uh, practice the doing of gratitude and thanksgiving. Practice the doing of gratitude and thanksgiving. Now, I want to show you something here. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Right? That, that's, you know what that's called? That call, that's called right there, that's having, being content in life. The peace of God that passeth all understanding. But the peace of God in verse number 7 is the byproduct of what you do in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Isn't that amazing that God talks about thanksgiving and ties that in with contentment? Isn't that amazing? I find that extremely fascinating. So verse 6 is filled with this big chunk of paradox that... That be careful for nothing. You know what that means? Be careful for nothing. That means that whatever it is that you're going through has the potential to produce anxiety in your life. Are you tracking with me? And so be careful for nothing. You're experiencing something that could produce anxiety. But God says, I don't want you to be uh, uh, anxious over that. In fact, instead of being anxious, I want you to be thankful. Well, that, that seems oxymoronic. I'm supposed to be thankful in the times... When, when I'm experiencing something, something that produces stress? Well, if you want to be, learn how to be content, then yes, you do. It is extremely, extremely important, the doing of thanksgiving and gratitude. And, and Paul is showing us how important it is. Let me go back to Dr. Korb and show you this amazing. Look at this next uh, quote here. You can pass over that uh, quote there. Let's go to the next one. Similarly... Expressing gratitude activates serotonin production, which improves your mood and allows you to overcome bad habits, giving you more to be grateful for. Any tiny change can be just the push your brain needs to start spiraling upward. Isn't that amazing? Look at the next quote. Gratitude is a potent antidote to ne negativity because it doesn't depend on your life circumstances. 
you could be poor and starving and still thankful for the warm breeze. Conversely, you could be rich and powerful and still be annoyed at the sound of your husband, your husband makes when he's chewing. (laughs) That's good right there. Gratitude is a state of mind. Um, There's a gratitude circuit in your brain that is in bad need of a workout. You you know what he's saying? See, See, God here, he's telling us about how to be content. That's, that's what he's doing in Philippians 4. And so he taught you what contentment was. He taught you that in order to have it, you have to look to Christ. And then he's telling us, but listen, it's more than just understanding you need Christ. There's some things that you have to do. And one of the things that he tells us to do is you need to get to the place in your life where you're thankful. And, and you need to get over the, uh, the times when I can only be thankful when my life is good. No, Paul is saying, no, you need to uh, be in the place in your spiritual walk where you're learning how to be thankful even when your life stinks. And science confirms that when you learn to be thankful, what it does is it actually produces the very thing that your brain needs to experience uh, overall well-being, a good state of mind in your head. Isn't that amazing? God knew this all, uh, all along before we had all the, uh, the instruments to measure how the brain works. God, God knew this already. It is amazing. And it's not surprising that we see over and over in the word of God him telling us and commanding us to be thankful. Look at these verses up on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. And everything give what? How many things are you supposed to give thanks for? Everything. Next verse, Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two more verses, Colossians 3.17, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Uh, Hebrews 13.15, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. Listen, I I know this is something that you know you should do, but if you would deliberately learn how to be thankful all throughout the day, God is telling us this is part of the doing that you need to learn in order to uh, learn how to be content in life. It's so simple, isn't it? And it has a direct effect upon your mind. Number two, not only the doing of uh, gratitude and thanksgiving, but uh, the doing of focusing on God's goodness to you. Mm, mm, mm. The doing of focusing on God's goodness to you. Now, Dr. Korb, I want to go back. He, he, in his book, explains how the hippocampus, uh, that's the center part of your brain, is involved in memory, but it's highly affected by context. And so what he's saying is that, that um, if... if Uh, Your memory is stimulated by the environment that you're in. And so, if you have a a constant habit of thinking negative, you create this context in your mind where you can't get outside of that box. So, for example, let me me explain. Um, I went to go visit uh, one of the first ladies that we baptized. Her name's Miss Betty. I think she's like 82 or 83 years of age. And she lives actually right across the street from the rec center that we started the church in. And so when I went to go visit her oh, a month ago or so, after my visit, I stopped over at the rec center and, and uh, just to kind of look. No one was there in the rec center, and we hadn't been there for uh, three years. 
And so when I stepped in the rec center, all of a sudden, because the context was where we started the church, all these memories come flooding back to me. You've been there before, right? You go back to where you grow, uh, where you grew up, and all the memories of the, all the bad things you did that your parents didn't know about, right? They come flooding back. That's the hippocampus, and it's so affected by the context or the environment that it's in. And, and what it's talking about here, and what Paul is talking about here, and what Dr. Korb uh, is highlighting is your brain, there's parts of your brain that if you're always thinking negative, it, you create this context and environment that it's so hard to get out of that you, it's hard for you to see uh, anything good. And, and, uh, and, and look, what, look what Paul addresses. He identifies the same thing. Look at verse number 8. Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know what Paul's identifying here? You want to experience contentment in life, you're going to have to learn how to be thankful unto God not just in the good times, but in the bad times, then you're also going to have to watch how you think. That, that is so vitally important be, because it will directly affect your mood. Can I, can I maybe give you just a couple of things here that are right here that, that you could think on next time you're finding it difficult to uh, experience contentment? I want you to go back and look in, look in verse number 6. Be careful for what? That's powerful. You know what that says? This is God telling you, you can give thanks in the time that it's difficult because I'm in control of your life. Now, I need to illustrate this because it's hard to see this. Be careful. Look, when God says be careful for nothing, you know what he's saying? I'm in control of your life and you don't have anything to worry about. Now, I need to illustrate this. Let me see here. Let me see here. I need to illustrate this. Um, uh, let me have one of your boys, Sid. Come on up. Come on up here. Give me your name, son. What's your name? Parker. Parker. You're Parker. You're not the same Parker that I remember. Okay. Let me illustrate this. God says, be careful for nothing. He's trying to tell you, I've got this situation under control and you can be thankful. Let me illustrate this. Let's say that uh, you're, at, uh, uh, you're walking uh, down the city street and you've got a Trump shirt on and a Trump hat on and a bunch of thugs see this and they come up to you There's, and you're by yourself. A bunch of thugs see this and they want to harass you and they want to hurt you. And so you, about, you have about four or five guys that are big and they start approaching you, and uh, they're saying, we're, we're going to take you out. Now, that would produce fear in me. And what if Parker uh, ran in between the thugs and me, and he said, don't worry about this, Brother John. I got this under control. Don't worry about a thing. I'll take care of this. Would you still be nervous? Right? right? Because, look, now look, I want you to get this. Because he's saying, he, he said, 
don't worry about a thing. I've got this taken care of. But I'm looking at his size, and I'm looking at the size of just one of them. But there's not just one of them. There's four or five of them. And it doesn't produce a confidence in me that everything's going to be okay because of the source of who said it. Does that make sense? Thanks, Parker. Go sit down. Instead, if that same circumstance happens and these five thugs start walking towards me who are bulky, and then all of a sudden out of the blue comes a SWAT team with ARs and protective gear and mace and uh, the, the shocker thing, the taser, the taser thing, <laughs> and they get in between these guys and me and they say, hey, Brother John, don't worry about a thing. We got this. Different feeling, isn't it? And that way, I don't have to be anxious about it. And I can be thankful because the words came from these men who were on the SWAT team. And I know they've got it under control. I want you to get this. Look, if, if you want to learn how to be content, you've got to learn how to be thankful. But you also have to learn about the positives. And so even when life is tough, God says this, even when life is tough, don't, don't be anxious about a thing. Be careful for nothing. And it's like the SWAT team that says, don't worry about this. I've got this. God is saying, I've got this. You can, can, you can uh, arrest in me. You can know that I've got this under control. And you've got to remind yourself in those times, man, God's, God's uh, he's going to take good care of me. I don't have to worry about it. And you may not understand how they're going to do it, but you just think on God's got me taken care of. And I don't have to worry about a thing. And if you want to learn how to be content, you've got to learn to look to God and say, God, you, you have a good resume of taking care of all of your children, even in the worst of circumstances. And I'm going to think on this. I'm going to think on these things that are good and pure and lovely. And what that does is it activates your brain to help produce the uh, kind of neurotransmitters that will then produce the kind of contentment that you need. Can you see that? Man, that's just, that's so good. It's so good. And so, and, and then let me give you one more thing that you can think of. Look, look also, you looked at the beginning of verse 6. Look also at the last part of verse 6. Let your request be made known unto God. That's powerful. How often do you say, oh, how you doing? Out of habit, but you don't really care how the person is doing. Right? We do that, don't we? And we become so used to it, we don't really mean it. And, and often, we don't even care. I don't even, I'm going to ask you that, but I don't even really care how you're doing. Um, we, we just say that out of proper etiquette. What God is doing here is, you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, how are you doing? Let, let your request be known. He, you know what he's saying? He's saying, uh, how, how are you doing? Uh, he, he's letting us know that, listen... You, I, I want to hear how you're feeling. God doesn't have to ask that because he doesn't know how we're feeling. Um, he, he knows exactly how we are feeling, but he just wants us to have the kind of relationship to express to him. Be, and when he asks, how are you doing? Tell me how you're feeling. Let me, let me know what your requests are. He's essentially saying, I love you. I love you. I do care about you. And so when I'm stressed... And when I'm going through a difficulty and I'm finding contentment just out of my reach, I have to learn to be thankful 
And then I have to learn to guide my thinking and say, God's got this under control. And not only does he have it under control, but the reason that he would say, let your request be made known is because he actually cares about me. And that is the, uh, the doing, the focusing of doing uh, of God's goodness. Let me give you the third uh, doing. Uh, I like this one, the doing of not doing. Look at verse number eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. There's a fascinating thing about your brain that you can really only effectively think on one thing at a time. Did you know that? I know that people like to argue you can multitask, but science says you can only actually think about one thing effectively at a time. And, and the point of focusing on the right thing is, look, if you're focusing on the right thing, then you can't focus on the wrong thing. Now get this, this is important. Uh, if I'm focusing and choosing to think on the right kinds of things, then it's impossible for me to think on the wrong kind of things. Can I illustrate this? Men, if you struggle with lustful thoughts, let me help you how to fight that. I feel like I got the men's attention now. Because it's a real fight, isn't it? You don't want to be honest? It's a fight. It's hard. You know what will help you fight lustful thoughts is when you find yourself in those moments. And ladies, let me just help you. We don't have to like want to have lustful thoughts in order for them to come. It, it's just part of our sinful disposition. I want you to understand that we don't have to sit there, man, I wish I could really have some lustful thoughts. No, no, they, they actually seek after us. And it's a battle fighting these things. I want to help you on how to get victory over that. When, next time you find yourself in one of those circumstances, when you're struggling with lustful thoughts, here's how you fight against that. And instead of entertaining that thought, and, and I'm not trying to uh, be um, sensational, but instead of entertaining that thought, you know what you should do? Men that are married, you think about uh, intimacy with your wife. Because you can't think about that and also entertain uh, your lustful thoughts. Does that make sense? The point I'm trying to illustrate is that if you're thinking about the, the right thing, you can't think about the wrong thing. And so God is talking to us here about the doing of not doing. In other words, you need to uh, figure out uh, the things that are in your life that, that uh, begin to attract your time and your attention. And there are some things, even if they're not immoral, you need to be able to take those out of your life. And, and so you can guide your thinking and, and, and help uh, direct your thinking. Listen to what uh, this quote from a man who wrote Henry and the Great Society. I have the quote up here. He said, Jesus said that a man's life does not consist of the things he possessed, but no one heard him. We have heard him, but we do not believe him. And we have never quite learned that a man is rich in proportion to the number of things he can afford to leave alone in this life. That's powerful. And so, there, listen, there are certain things that I have taken out of my life not even because they're wrong, 
but because I know they don't help me think on the right things. I, uh, on my phone, I have taken off the app Fox News. Now, I love Fox News, but I have taken off the app Fox News on my phone. And the reason I've done that is because uh, they have too many uh, types of articles that, that create too many temptations, and so I've taken it off. And Fox News isn't necessarily immoral in nature, but, but you know what that does? If I'm watching Fox News or uh, on my phone, it creates opportunity for me to think on the wrong thing. And so I just take it off so I don't have to worry about that. And if you want to be able to think on the right things, there are certain things that you might have to take off, uh, take out of your life so you can focus on the right things because you can't focus on the wrong thing if you're focusing on the right thing. And then the last thing of doing is the doing of fellowship with God and his people. Go back to chapter 1. Back to chapter 1. And look in verse number 1. Philippians 1 and verse number 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. I wanted to point this out that God, because God is addressing the church here. And, and so the people in this church, when they hear this letter from Paul, they would also get chapter 4, wouldn't they? People that come to this church that, that would have this letter delivered to them, they would be there when Paul would also uh, have, they'd have the opportunity to read about how to have contentment. And so if they were, weren't a part of the church family, they would miss out on this rich chapter that God gave us about how to have a, content, uh, a life filled with contentment. And, and I just want to point out that one of the things that uh, Dr. Korb uh, highlights is that when you get to the place when you're not content, one of the last things that you want to do is be around other people. Isn't that right? And sometimes when I'm down, I don't feel like going to church all the time, when, especially when I'm down. I don't want to put on a smile and act like I care about you. But he's saying that God, uh, uh, Dr. Corb says that we were created social creatures and that we need one another. And God knew that we would need one another. And so he, that's one of the reasons why he built the church, so we could love, provoke one another into love and good works. And, and one of the things that if you want to learn contentment, there are some things that you have to learn to do. You have to learn about being thankful for all things. You, you, have, to, you have to be able to learn to uh, think and focus on the good things God is doing for you in life. You have to be able to uh, learn to uh, think about the things that you need to take out of your life so you can focus on the right thing. And then you, you also need to do the fellowship among the believers. You need to be a part of a thriving church. Listen, this helps you experience contentment in life. I, it really does. It really helps you. Being a part of a church will help you experience contentment. And, and, and so God gives us this amazing chapter in chapter number four that deals with how to experience contentment in life. And so I want to ask you, do you live a content life? Is your life content? You know, I really don't even need to ask you. I can ask those that know you best. Is this person content in life? Yes. 
and they can tell me, can't they? And if your life doesn't reflect contentment, it just shows. You, you know what it shows? If I'm living life and my life doesn't reflect contentment, it actually reflects a greater problem that something is off with my connection with Christ because he's my source of contentment. And so I want to encourage you tonight as the musicians make their way to the platform. And maybe, maybe you need to come today and you need to say, Lord, help me to learn to be more thankful. I'm not sure I'm as thankful as what I need to be. Maybe I need to do that and, and uh, practice that more. Or, or maybe I, I need to do a better job of thinking on the right things. Uh, that may be what you need to do today. Um, maybe, maybe in order to be content, there's some things that God has identified during the message that you need to take out of your life. Things that cause you to think on the wrong thing and consume your thoughts so you can't think on the right thing. Maybe that's it. I don't know. It, it may be something like that. So that might be something that you need to come and do uh, business with the Lord about and then it may be that man everything is okie dokie in your life right now you're at a good spot your business is good your marriage is good your kids are good your overall well-being is good and and you know what you can do uh, a way that you can respond today tonight is just to come to God and say God I want to thank you it's easy for me to thank you right now uh, because my life is good and I just want to thank you for allowing all of these things to be in my life and to come in my life and so however the Lord has dealt with your heart um, I'm going to ask you to respond Lord I come before you 